Thank you, guys. Well, Merry Christmas. Good to see all of you. We're doing a Christmas service this weekend. Got the choir and great Christmas music and got angels hanging from the ceilings and we're celebrating today. And then Thursday night, we're going to do a Christmas Eve service, family service, everybody in here, 6 o'clock. Ryland's got a message called A Tale of Two Kingdoms that I'm really looking forward to and we'll do some more Christmas music, so we hope to see you then. But today, we're looking at the greatest gifts you'll ever get. Uh, You and I, we've got a few more shopping days before Christmas hits, Uh, but God uh, did his Christmas shopping for us over 2,000 years ago, and the whole purpose of Christmas is summed up in one key verse in the Bible. Let's read John 3.16 out loud together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the whole purpose of Christmas. God so loved you and me that he gave his one and only son. This whole uh, Christmas gift-giving tradition started when God gave us the gift of his son. First gift, most expensive gift, greatest gift you'll ever receive. Uh, Follow the logic of the Bible with me here in Romans 8, 32. It says, since... God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Then, since then, can we not expect that with him, with Christ, God will freely give us all his gifts? The logic is, if God loves you enough to send his son to die for you, then obviously God loves enough to care for you. God loves you enough to do all kinds of other things for you. Can we not expect him to freely give us all these other gifts? Because with the gift of Jesus Christ comes other gifts. Did you ever get a gift that was like a big gift and you opened it up and then there were a bunch of little gifts inside it? I love those kind of gifts. You know, now maybe you got a big gift and you opened it up and there was a very tiny gift in it. Sometimes people will prank you like that. I don't like that. I like it the other way. You open it, whoa, look at all this stuff. That's what God does for you. God gives you the whoa gift. There's all kinds of other stuff in here. God's big gift to you is Jesus Christ, but inside the big gift of Christ comes all kinds of other things. The New Testament lists over 50 gifts that God gives us when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, Over 66 times in the New Testament, we have the word gift or gifts. It's one of the major themes of the Bible. People think that Christmas is the season of giving. No, Christmas is the season of receiving, receiving God's gifts. So today I want to look at the four greatest gifts that you'll ever get. Number one, when I accept Jesus Christ, the big gift God gave me, God gives me also a new identity, a new identity. Maybe you can identify uh, with this letter. It says, Dear Pastor, I feel like for my entire life I have been defined by other people. First, my mom constantly berated me to be someone she wanted me to be, but I had no interest in being. The pressure to perform and please and gain approval was overwhelming. I never felt validated growing up for who I really was. Then in school, I always felt pressured by my friends to fit in and do things I didn't want to do or didn't even like to do. I wore a mask and pretended a lot through my time in school. When I started dating and later when I married my spouse, I felt their constant pressure to please them and to stuff my own feelings and my needs and to be who they wanted me to be. 
I've worried so much my entire life about gaining the approval of others that I don't know who I am or what I'm supposed to be. That's an identity crisis, an identity problem. Fastest growing crime in in our day is identity theft. Every week we hear stories of hackers who break into computers and steal computer uh, credit card information or personal information. But the truth is, we've all had our identities stolen. Sometimes your identity is stolen by your parents and who they want you to be. Sometimes your identity is stolen by your friends who pressure you to, to fit in. Sometimes your identity is stolen by a culture that demands you act in a certain way. Look this way, talk this way, smell this way, drink this, drive that, wear this. If you don't, you don't fit in. And you end up being pressured to conform to culture rather than being who God designed you to be. And you wind up not even knowing your true identity. So, so let me ask you a very personal question. Where do you get your identity? Where do you get your identity? On on what do you base who you think you are? Now, most people get their identity from one of three things, either from their work, from their relationships, or from their things. From their work, you ask somebody, who are you? And they'll say, I'm an accountant. I'm a, a plumber. I'm a truck driver. I'm a homemaker. You answer what you do. But that's what you do, not who you are. Sometimes people try to get their identity from their relationships. Well, I'm I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a wife, I'm a husband, I'm an uncle, I'm a grandparent. Their relationship gives them their identity. Some people try to find their identity through through their things, what they have. This is my house, this is my bank account, these are the things I collect, This this is my hobby, this is my fishing pole, I'm a fisherman, this is my gun, I'm a hunter, this is my golf club, this is my sewing machine, I'm a crafter, this is these are my things, that's who I am. Let me give you some important advice. Never, ever base your identity on something that can be taken from you. Never base it on something that can be taken from you. If you build your identity on your spouse, your husband, or your wife, what happens if they leave? What happens if they die and you live another 30 years? Now, what's your identity? You know, what, what happens if you base your identity on, on your relationship with your children? Your children grow up, move, leave. What happens if you base your identity on your job and you get fired or laid off? What happens if you build your identity on your home and it goes into foreclosure or on on your wealth and the economy tanks or or you build your identity on your looks and and what happened to me happens to you? (laughs) This could happen to anybody. I didn't always look like this. You know, guys in their youth build their identity on their athletic ability and then it fades and then who are they? If you build your identity on something that can be taken from you, it's not your true identity. The, the only thing that cannot be taken away from you is God's unconditional love for you. So if you want to know your true identity, you've you got to receive it from the God who made you, the God who loves you. Nobody can take that from you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, When someone becomes a Christian, when you receive the, that gift of Jesus Christ, He becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Jesus calls it being born again. It's a fresh start. You don't don't turn over a new leaf. You get a new life, 
a new identity when you accept that, that big gift at Christmas, God's Son. Now, does a new identity mean you're perfect? Does it mean you don't sin or struggle with sin? Absolutely not. But it means that your identity, you're not identified by your sin. You're not identified by your struggle. You're not identified by your weakness. You got a new identity as a child of God. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they let their failures define them. They let their faults define them. Their fears define them. Their sins, their struggles define them. But you don't get your primary identity from your greatest weakness. You know, you are not your sin. You are not your struggle. You're a child of God. That's the new, true identity that God offers you when you accept Christ. Now, you know what the ceremony is called when we publicly identify with our new identity? The ceremony is called baptism. We're doing baptisms in our service this week. It's very fitting because God gives us a new identity, and we proclaim that new identity through the act of baptism. Uh, just like Jesus, we, we take people and place them underwater. It's a, it's a symbol of the burial and resurrection of Christ. I've died to my old way of living. I'm, I'm moving into a new way of life. I've got a new identity. The starting point of a new identity is this. You stop seeing yourself the way everybody else sees you. And you start seeing yourself the way God sees you. You start seeing yourself, stop listening to the lies of the world, start listening to the truth of God's word. Because you don't know your true identity. Your parents don't know your true identity, your friends don't know your true identity. Only the God who created you, the God who made you, knows your true identity. And so you've got to listen to him and to what he says you are. The world says, if you're not the most beautiful, you don't matter. If you're not the most educated, you don't matter. If you're not the most talented, you don't matter. Well, that means 99.9% of us don't matter. That's what the world tells us. Growing up, you, you, you heard the lies of people who said, you'll never amount to anything. You know, who do you think you are? Why, why would you think you could do that? Why can't you be more like your brother? You're too old, you're too young, you're too this, you're too that. You've heard those voices over and over in your head. You need to get your identity from God. Because God says you're valuable. God says you are forgivable. God says you're lovable, you're capable, you're usable, you're blessable. You need to listen to what Jesus says. In John 8, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, everybody knows that last statement, the truth will set you free. Everybody knows that statement. Hardly anybody knows the statements that lead up to it. If you hold to my teaching, if you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. You're not going to find the truth from the world. You're not going to find the truth from culture. You're not going to find the truth within yourself. God knows the truth about you. And God says, when you discover that truth, it'll set you free. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know what God wants you to do. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. God has a purpose for your life. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. God has a plan for your life. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. 
God has a will for your life. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. But you're not going to know what it is until you get a new identity, the new identity that comes in the big package of Jesus Christ. First thing God gives you, new identity. Second thing God gives you is a new ability, a new power, energy, strength, capacity. I'm not just depending on my own willpower, my own strength anymore. I mean, you've tried to change. You've tried to live life in your own power. You make New Year's resolutions and they last a week, three months at the most. Why? Because you don't have the power to live them out. Willpower doesn't work. You've got to get God's power into your life. Romans 5. God has poured out his love. Notice with all of these, it goes back to God. For God so loved the world. God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us. God's Spirit is the second gift. God says, I'm not only going to be with you, I'm going to be in you. I'm going to pour my Spirit into you when you receive the Christmas gift of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, now, now, now that you have God's Spirit in you, now God works in you by giving you both the desire and the ability to fulfill his good purpose for you. You know what our problem is? You know, you know, you know what your problem is, my problem is? is we, know, we know the changes we need to make. We know the right things we need to do and the wrong things we need to stop doing. We, we know we have the desire to improve our lives. We just don't have the ability. And God says, I'll not only give you the desire, I'll give you the ability. I'll I'll, I'll give you the power. How? By putting his spirit into your life. Because there's a difference between willpower and God power. And we try to change on our own. We get tired and give up. But you let God's power move into your life. And God will sustain you as you make those changes. The problem with self-help is is (laughs) you can't help yourself. You don't have the power. So God's plan, it's not built on trying harder, it's built on trusting God more. It's about God's power, not willpower. And what you need is grace, not guilt. Guilt doesn't work. If you try to change your life on the basis of guilt, it's not going to last. You don't need guilt, you need grace. You don't need law and legalism, you need love. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Circle the words power, love, and self-discipline. That's what you get when you get God's spirit into your life. Third gift, God gives me a new community. Because you weren't meant to go through life alone. You, You were meant to have a spiritual family around you to support you. Ephesians 1 says that God created the entire universe because he wanted a family. It says because of his love, we're back to God's love again, because of his love, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Circle the word adopt. You're not automatically in God's family. When you're born, you become part of the human race, but you have to be reborn in order to become part of God's family. 
That's why it's so important to receive Jesus Christ, because that's how God adopts us into his family, is through Jesus Christ. And God says, I don't want you just to believe in me. I don't want you just to believe in Jesus. I don't want you just to believe in Christ. I want you to belong to the body of Christ. You know, too many believers are floundering around out there trying to live the Christian life on their own, alone, uh, apart from a church family. And it makes them weak, ineffective, vulnerable. They need to step up to the commitment of being part of a local church. And not just attending, not just showing up, but taking the step of membership, of actually belonging to the local body of Christ. God says, I want you to be in my family, but you've got to choose to be in his family. God says, I want to give you a new community, a spiritual family. 1 Timothy 3, that family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. Circle the word support and foundation. Because you need support and a foundation because you've seen the effects of the storms of life. You know, if you don't have good support, a good foundation in the storms of life, it, what happens to the house? You know, I, I can give you a personal testimony on that. M- many of you know that the day after Thanksgiving, uh, my father-in-law passed away. Uh, he was 94 years old. His wife is 93 years old. They've been married for over 67 years. And in a two-week period, they went from living independently in their own apartment to my father-in-law falling being in the hospital for a week, then moving into skilled nursing, and then he passed away suddenly one day, just after lunch. We we, kind of joke about it. He'd said that there's nothing more life-threatening than being 94. And so we say he passed away suddenly after 94 years. But, you know, it it happened. It did. It happened quickly because they were doing so well. And my mother-in-law had to move out of their apartment. She had to move into skilled nursing. We had to take care of the funeral and a burial in Iowa. We had to handle all of their affairs. We had to deal with all the furniture in their apartment. And, and this all happened the week that Katie and I were scheduled to go to India to do a conference. And so we had to cancel the conference, had to make alternative arrangements for all that stuff over there. And, and I'll just tell you, honestly, any one of these things, Ivan falling, spending time in the hospital, moving out of the apartment into skilled nursing, the mother-in-law moving into skilled nursing, having to deal with all their affairs and all their effects, having to deal with canceling and changing the conference, any one of those things would have, been a, would have been a big thing to wrestle to the ground. You put them all together, and it was like the perfect storm. And I tell you, for the last month, Katie and I have just physically, emotionally, spiritually, we've just felt like a wrung-out dish rag. And there is no way we would have made it without the support and foundation of our church family. I mean, Katie's small group just started stepping up to the plate, and they sat with her mom and watched her while Ivan was in the hospital. They grieved with her uh, after, after he passed away. They ran errands. They supported Katie. I mean, it was just really sweet to watch these ladies step up and just love on my wife and on her mom. And, you know, I've had guys helping me, praying with me, moving furniture, running errands. I mean, it, it's, just, it, it's just been awesome. And when it comes to support, smaller is better. Smaller is better. That's why this church is built around small groups, because a crowd can't support you. You need to be in a small group. That's where the support and foundation are found. So get in a group. God says we're better together. We need each other. We compensate, we complement, we complete each other. Look at this next verse. It says, a different spiritual gift. 
There's that gift thing again. A different spiritual gift is given to each of us in God's family. So we can help each other, read it with me, for the common good. It's not just about you. It's about all of us together as the body of Christ. It's about the common good. And so I have gift, talents, and abilities to help you. You have gifts, talents, and ability to help the person next to you. They have gifts, talents, and abilities to help the person next to them. And that's the way the body is designed to function. When you accept Jesus Christ, you become part of a new community. But you've got to move in to that community and do your part in order to receive your part from that community. Here's one other gift that's wrapped up in the big gift of Jesus. And this one's going to outlast everything. It's going to outlast them all. You know, there are a lot of Christmas gifts that, that, that are broken by noon. That's just the way it goes. There are a lot of Christmas gifts you don't want. I mean, Star Wars, Chia Pet. Okay. If, if it's on your wish list, I'm happy for you. But, 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 but God offers us a new destiny. A new destiny. 1 Peter 1.4, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. The priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. How do we get that gift? Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It comes in the package of Jesus as a free gift. You don't earn your way into heaven. You don't buy your way into heaven. You don't bribe or bargain your way into heaven. You get into heaven when you accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. It's part of the package deal. Now, there, this is one of those gifts that you, you've got to ask for. You've got to accept it. You must receive it. You, you've got to unwrap it. You've got to put it on. You've got to use it. Otherwise, it does, it, you don't get the benefit out of it. And where else are you going to get these kind of benefits? Nowhere. Nowhere else. Nowhere else are you going to get gifts like these. It's the greatest gift you're ever going to receive. And here's the offer. I love it. And, and out of the message paraphrase, Acts 10.35, it says, It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've done, you know, what you've done, who you've done it with, how long you've done it. doesn't matter doesn't matter. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. God is offering you the gift of Jesus Christ and everything that Christ contains. But you've got to receive it. You've got to receive it. Let's pray together. This is your moment. This is your moment. In your heart, would, would you just pray and say, God, thank you for the Christmas gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you loved me so much that you sent your son to pay the penalty for my sins. And today I receive the Christmas gift of Jesus. I'm asking you to give me a new identity. Not what everybody else has told me I am, but God, I, I want to be who you made me to be. Give me my true identity. God, give me a new ability. I, I can't change on my own. I need a new power. I need a new power in my life. Not willpower, but God power. And God, I want this new community. I want the support and foundation of the church, the body of Christ that, that you've 
that you've provided, that you've designed. And God, I just I want to move into the commitment of membership and the connection of small group in order to have that support and foundation. God, I'm humbly asking you for a new destiny. That one day you will accept me into the place you've prepared for me in heaven. Not because I deserve it, because I don't, but because I've received your son as my savior. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.